Hey guys, I just want to give you a little heads up. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, this week's guest is Lisa Marie Chronic, and she is a friend of mine. But she um, had her her story written down, and she wanted to read it. So the first part of this is her reading her story, and then we get into some questions. Anyway, it's really great. She is uh, has been through a lot, and I really think you'll appreciate her story. The other thing I want to mention is that there is a buzz um, in the background. It's just to do with either Skype or my cable uh, that runs from the computer to the uh, recording device. Um, just wanted you to know that I am aware of it. And um, the one last thing, I thought there was only going to be two, is that she, there were a few times where she um, had to get up and um, kind of take care of her kids. Her kids were uh, were like crying and stuff in the background. Um, and so if there are like odd or weird like cuts in the editing, um, it's just from where I cut back in um, from all this dead air from when she had to go um, be a mom. So anyway, with all that said, here's today's show, and I think you'll love it. Okay, thank you, Zach. I just want to first say that I'm so grateful um, to be able to be a part of this and to share my story. I'm actually um, going to just give you some background. Um, before I actually got into recovery, um, I was born in Texas. Um, my household growing up consisted of my mom, my dad, an older sister, and a younger brother. Our family did not attend church, and we moved from place to place often. We moved from Texas to Florida, then to Arkansas, where we lived for three years. My father suffered an accident at work and became disabled. My entire childhood, I remember him being on, in pain and him going to the doctor often. He had multiple back surgeries that unfortunately did not um, offer him any relief. As far back as I can remember, Daddy was usually fighting, drinking, and often in and out of jail. We moved to Daytona Beach when I was around 10 or 11. I stayed there long after my dad left my mom, and I did not see him again after that. Honestly, that was okay with me as I was sexually abused by him for years. I had feelings of exclusion from other people my age, a sense that my life was not normal. My life was dysfunctional, and it showed in every area. As a teen, I started drinking, taking prescription pills, and smoking pot. I skipped school a lot and went to the beach or the mall most of the time. I always thought about being sexually abused. Then I would drink or take a pill just so I would feel good for a while. I had a boyfriend I thought I was pretty serious about. When I was 16, I dropped out of school, worked every day, and moved in with my boyfriend's family. We partied and worked, and we worked and we partied. My boyfriend and I did everything together. We worked together, we lived together, we had the same friends. We even got matching tattoos on my 18th birthday. I was starting to not think about what my dad had done. I was going to be with this guy forever, and we were going to think the same about everything and do the same things and want to do the same things. I was not excluded anymore. All of a sudden, I had tons of friends, and I knew all kinds of people doing all kinds of different things, young and old, black and white, so many different people from all different places. My boyfriend's mother was super outgoing and introduced me to everyone as her daughter. Everything was great through the eyes of denial. My boyfriend was always stealing things from other people and robbing cars and houses and in jail a lot. When I turned 18, I got pregnant. I had my first son right after I turned 19. His name is Michael. I started staying at home to care for him. I went back to school and got my GED. I started school at the community college, and then it happened. My boyfriend just left me. Just like my dad left my mom, all in one night, he was gone. 
Not long after he left, I started leaving my son with babysitters, and my boyfriend's mom and I went out all night. When I was 20, I started using crank. I quickly met another guy and started partying with him daily. I dropped out of school, and we got a place together. We had a big, pretty house we rented. We got roommates, and we all partied together. I did whatever I could to feel good about myself. If I was in pain, I would take a pill to numb the pain. If I was sleepy but wanted to stay up, I would do some speed and stay up for days. If I started to feel excluded, I would just drink and be super outgoing, and everyone around me would tell me how much fun I was to be around. I learned how to depend on substances to make me feel however I wanted to feel. Then one day, I looked into my son's face and realized I was an awful mom. My little son needed someone to care for him, and I was not doing a very good job of that. So I set out to fix that, and I left that guy I was with, and I took my son in a bag of clothes, and I went to my mom's house. Only she could not offer any support of any kind. She worked all day and took care of my sister's three kids throughout the night. At some point, I had court with my son's dad. He looked to be doing well. He had a job, a nice girlfriend, and a pretty house. So in 2004, I did the hardest thing I think I have ever done. I signed court papers for my son to live with his father. I thought he would have a better chance with his dad. Now I really had nothing. I started using meth daily. I was so full of rage. I was so stressed out. I had gotten arrested five or six times on misdemeanor offenses. I lost countless jobs. I started hurting the people around me. I started doing things I said I would never do, breaking my own rules. No one could trust me. I would take anything from anyone, money, drugs, boyfriends, cars, anything. In 2005, when I was 24, I was strung out on meth, pills, and alcohol. I hated everything about my life and all of the people around me. I remember sitting in my car out in front of the dealer's house screaming at God. I told God that I knew he didn't love me because if he did, he would save me and he would help me. And he wasn't helping me and he didn't save me from myself. Just two short weeks later, I was arrested on a federal charge of conspiracy with intent to distribute. I was housed in Orlando, Florida. I remember being arrested on a Monday and one of the U.S. Marshals told me at least he gave me the weekend to party one last time. I told him thanks for nothing. I could have killed myself using uppers and downers at the same time. When I was in jail this time, I was denied bond twice. I was tired. First couple of days, I slept all day and only woke up long enough to eat and then I slept more. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was happening around me and I didn't care. After the second week, a girl named Elaine came over to my cell and asked me if I had a Bible and if I wanted to start reading it with her. She gave me a Bible to use, and we started going to church. The very first service I went to, I realized that God had heard my scream from that car. He did love me. He loved me enough to put me in a safe place like jail so I couldn't die. So that, so that I didn't wake up next to one more guy that I didn't know so that I could not self-medicate anymore, so that I could eat and sleep, so that he could pick me up from the miry clay and set my feet on solid ground once and for all. That day he did save me. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior of my soul and took my place as a daughter of the King.
From that day forward, I was not the same. I did not talk the same. I did not act the same. I didn't even write the same. I started reading the Bible every chance I had. I felt God's love so much during that season of my life. Even knowing I was incarcerated, that was the most freeing time of my entire life. The Lord was with me, and I was with the Lord. I learned how to pray. At night in jail was the worst time because it's just you and your thoughts. The enemy wanted me to listen to him and his nagging and his reminders, but instead I prayed. I remember I believed the Lord for anything and everything. I said, Jesus, come and comfort me until morning, and he did every night. I asked him, and every night I was comforted. I kept praying and began seeking God about what would happen with me now that I knew him. I was seeing some of the other girls who had been released start coming back on new charges, and that scared me. I kept praying. I had another bond hearing, and finally I was bonded out on a signature bond with my son's father's mother. You know, the one I first started using crank with. I was scared. I wasn't sure if I could make it without using around her, but I kept praying and asking God to help me. When I was released, the guy that picked me up was just some random guy I was hanging out with. I wasn't sure if I could be around him either. I prayed. I began to pray about everything, a job, a place to live, staying sober, finding a church. I was released from jail October 2005 on a pretrial release program, and I prayed, and God used so many people and so many circumstances to make a way for me. I followed his lead. The guy that picked me up had an old charge that he had to serve time for. He was from Madison, Georgia. His mother and father came to Daytona Beach to pick up all of his belongings from his apartment. I met with them and helped them pack up his things. I had an immediate and special connection with his mom, and she offered to let me stay with her while he was incarcerated. So I requested to have my supervision transferred to the state of Georgia, and I moved to Madison, Georgia on December 4, 2005. I was on a courtesy supervision with the Federal Probation Office in Athens, Georgia. I immediately started going to AANA Church and found a Celebrate Recovery program. I learned so much about sobriety and the road to recovery. I started working a step study for the first time, and many people poured into me. After all, I didn't have to change much, just everything. I attended that Celebrate Recovery in Madison for six years. I served in many different roles. I eventually met my amazing husband and moved out of the house I was living in. In 2006, I was invited to go on a spiritual retreat where I learned so much about forgiveness. I experienced it in a powerful way. I was able to let go and forgive my father for the hurt he caused and forgive myself for allowing that hurt to fuel my addiction. I was set free. I could see how forgiving him for not teaching me how to truly be loved and love other people would release me from all the hurt, and then God could come into that place of deep hurt and show me real love, agape love. On November 2000, in November 2006, I was baptized, and David Chronic asked me to be his bride. I prayed and asked God to release me from pretrial supervision after being on it for 18 months before I was um, to become a wife. Three days before my wedding, my lawyer called to say all my charges were dropped. So on Valentine's Day 2007, I became Mrs. Lisa Marie Chronic and a new stepmother to my two wonderful stepsons, Will and Craig. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 David and I had our first son later on that year. His name is Caden. Since 2007, David and I have continued on the road to, uh, to recovery. We have served in many different positions in our church and in our community. I wish I could say without any bumps in the road or relapse, but we have had our fair share of disappointments, heartbreaks, setbacks, and mistakes. But when I sit and think about it, I know that my God is a way maker. He is bigger than my worst mistake. He desires a relationship with me and can restore, rebuild, and reconcile. I know that it is only by the grace of God that I am alive, that I am a wife, that I am a godly mother. When my son Caden began kindergarten, I accepted my calling to be his homeschool teacher. He's now in the third grade and I'm still his teacher. In 2011, my father made contact with me for the first time in 16 years. I was not sure what would come of his phone call, but I prayed and trusted God yet again that he had my best interests at heart. My daddy told me about his life and how he had moved back to Texas and was in prison for several years then got out and went back. He told me while he was in prison the last time that a man came to him and asked him if he had a Bible and if he wanted to start reading it with him. Daddy had a lot of health problems and I haven't set my eyes on him since I was a little girl. But God blessed me with one year of over-the-phone relationship with him before he died on November the 20th, 2012. We had a service for him at Penfield Baptist Church where I was mailed this letter from my dad. It says, My Lord and Savior has blessed me by reuniting me with my children and seven grandchildren. I have yet to meet them. I am going over to Georgia the first of the year to have that glorious meeting. I owe it all to my Lord Jesus Christ. Also, I have survived seven congestive heart failures and one major open heart surgery. Only through His grace and mercy did I live. Before I married, my soon-to-be husband told me about a relationship he was involved in that may have produced a child, and in November of 2013, I met, I met him for the first time, my little stepson Chandler. He has been such a joy to get to know and love. I often call him Walking Smile because he's always walking around smiling. What an amazing God to give us all these boys to teach about his goodness. I'm so blessed to be in a position to watch my husband grow and lead, to be as Paul says, to follow him as he follows Christ. I choose to put aside feelings of jealousy and bitterness and accept my place as my husband's helpmate. We have been blessed time and time again by my husband's job at Penfield Christian Homes. God has used that ministry not only to provide treatment for many men and women suffering from addiction, but also to provide a beautiful home in the community where we've lived for four years now. Over the years, I have had three failed custody trials regarding my son, Michael. I had to let God take me through a process of trusting him with my son. I have prayed for many years and even convinced a lot of my closest friends to pray in agreement concerning him. In December 2014, my boy Michael came to live with us permanently. And just when we thought our family was complete, we got pregnant with our youngest son. Born on January the 4th, 2015, we named him Benjamin. 
Because we have so many wonderful children and our family keeps growing, we needed a bigger vehicle, which God just provided for us. You see, we serve such a big God that cares about even the smallest things. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be overcome by a drug addiction, depressed, strung out, hurt, and left behind. But the victory in Jesus. Now that I have told you this story, I hope that you have a picture of love. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sin, 1 Peter 4, 8, and a picture of hope. Never give up hope on sobriety, on yourself, or each other. Only trust that God has your best interests at heart. Thanks for letting me share. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to clap. I feel like I should. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, well, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I just, now I do have a few questions. Show, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do have questions, but before we get to that, I, I just want to mention that, like, so a lot of um, recent people on the show have had struggled with some kind of drug addiction and stuff, and and me personally, even though I've been through the feelings that come with that kind of thing, have not necessarily gone through that directly. And I just want to preface this before we get into the questions, but I really appreciate you sharing that and depending on, anyway, I just appreciate your honesty, but just want to say to the person who is uh, on the verge of saying, well, uh, of tuning out or whatever and saying, you know, well, I, you know, I don't have this, I'm, you know, I'm not in all in that, I, I'm not addicted to something or whatever. I, I would say two things. One, you know, the average family is very unhealthy, but but people are just looking the other way and that there are all these like small things that are meaningful to God that are very easy to ignore that build over time. And I appreciate people like you in my life that face those things and that people that um, face their struggles, whatever they were, are just the most, the strongest, but also the most kind of honest people I know and in many ways the closest to the picture of what I want and again I say all that as you know the son of a you know previous pastor and all that kind of stuff and 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 I another reason I say that is like I typically listen to something and look for a reason to disprove it because that allows me to stay where I am does that you know what I mean Uh and uh, (laughs) so that was a very long disclaimer to say I just, yeah, I appreciate your openness in that regardless of the what the listener has been through or, or not, that, you know, that uh, that God cares about these small things that no one else cares about if they are small things and that, you know, I have a lot of things in my life that aren't big enough to really tell someone about, but they still bother me and they're still huge to me. And, uh, and so a lot of times those things stay under wraps. And then, you know, on the other hand, uh, just that regardless of what you've done in in the past, dramatic or not, that the story is really about God's redemption of that. And with that very long introduction, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Was there ever a season in your story that you felt you would never get out of? You were just in a, a bad place mentally spiritually and you felt like you just didn't know if there was a way out of there yeah there was uh, a couple of very long seasons where I can remember thinking that any any season without the Lord that was that was it no hope of getting out of it no understanding 
Um, I know just going through the sexual abuse by itself before the addiction even was, that was a hopeless place. Um, and then the addiction. And how long, how long before you told someone about that, you know? I was probably 13 or 14. And I think it had been going on since I was about five. So that's a long time for a little girl to not say anything to anybody. Yeah. Who did you tell? Like, who did, who did you, who were you able Um, to speak to? I finally did talk with my mom some. Um, and she took me, you know, she did the best that she could and took me to counseling and, and we tried to work through it. Wow. Um, the next question is, what was the, what was your, and you kind of covered this, but, um, what was your like turning point moment? You know, was it when someone kind of addressed, uh, or brought up God to you while you were in prison or, or just what was the moment where you decided that, that things had to be different? Well, I think it was when I was in jail and I couldn't get out. And, you know, that's what I was saying is that God had me in that safe place where I couldn't do, you know, left to my own measures, I couldn't do anything, you know. And so he kind of, and then that's when I realized that, wait, he's pursuing me. Um, And then when he sent Elaine, I knew that that's what I needed to do because I'd tried everything else and nothing else worked. So it was a matter of, being incarcerated and I couldn't leave because I'd been in and out of jail a lot, but it was the last time being incarcerated and not being able to leave. And then it's like God just sent her to speak to me, you know, and it was, it was awesome. And I knew then that I needed him. What day-to-day things have you changed um, since then to not go back to negative mental ruts? I mean, like you said, obviously, you know, you've really been redeemed from a lot of those things you were going through, but it's still very easy to go back to a negative mental pattern regardless of your circumstance. And um, what things do you do to not return to those negative comfort zones? Well, I think doing things like this, like talking about it and reflecting on what my life was like without the Lord and what it's like with Him, remembering is a good thing. But also I do work a program. I still work a a very honest program and I know what my triggers are. I've done a lot of self-examination and, um, you know, they say you relapse long before you use and there's a lot of truth in that. And so, but it's not just about the addiction. It's about, you know, when I start trying to cut corners or, you know, I'm not completely honest or I'm not, having that relationship every day, then I know I'm, I'm going to be in some trouble. So, And there's like this stigma around like recovery or whatever, especially like I said a minute ago with, you know, the people that maybe haven't experienced that. But that is just, you know, in my opinion, they're just people that have been through enough that they are allowing a level of honesty that most people don't live with, that they both in accountability and I just feel like in closeness to other people that like when you struggle, or I guess a phrase this has a question, but like, you know, when you struggle with something now, is it way different than it would have been without this like support? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just like it seems night and day to me uh, to be surrounded by other people that understand that level of openness. I guess. Well, I think you just said it. Basically, hit the nail right on the head. It is accountability, um, and. Um, you know, I try to be as transparent as possible. It, 
no matter what I'm doing, there's so many different hats we all wear. We're all very busy doing a lot of different things, but um, being accountable for, you know, my actions and and things, that's it's a major, major influencer. I, I wouldn't want to trade that for anything, really. Um, the last thing is, what would you say to someone who is in between who they were and, you know, a better version of them? And, um, and I'm also going to ask another uh, related question of this that you know if what would you say to someone who is going through some kind of uh, abuse or some kind of thing they need to tell someone about but haven't told anyone yet well um, I would say definitely it is not your fault that's important to know um and one thing that was told to me that really helped me heal um, was that God is always there, you know, and Christ is there. And even though when we as humans make decisions, it breaks his heart, but we still make decisions. And because of the decisions my father made, it broke his heart. He was right there. He knew what was happening. And he wept with me. He felt that pain right there with me. And so when I was able to start healing from that, I learned that he was always with me. He, he's always going to be with me and that it broke his heart too. Um, and this is kind of ties in with your other answers or whatever, but just a different way of, of phrasing this, I guess. But, um, you know, when the devil brings up, old thought patterns to you or tries to or you have feelings uh, like old feelings like one day I heard my phone go off or no it wasn't my phone I heard a phone in public go off that was like this text message sound and it was the sound that my phone used to make and when I um, was in my first uh, relationship which was very unhealthy and just hearing that like brought me back to this weird mental place for you know for a few minutes or whatever um, obviously, you know, it wasn't this major thing, but the devil has a way of trying to keep reviving old, uh, feelings. And so if, if that's something that you deal with from time to time, you know, where do you go with that? Um, I do deal with that. Um, also smells, I know that sounds weird too, but, um, sometimes it'll be like a perfume or something that reminds me of a different time. But, um, I just try to really understand in my heart and in my mind that I, I am redeemed. You know, I'm a new creation. And even the things that I used to do in my sin, um, see, Christ has conquered all of that. So um, I just try to pray about it. You know, the Bible talks about taking every thought into captivity and lining it up with the Word of God and making it obedient. So uh, I know that not all thoughts are my own. Um, like you said, I know that the enemy, he will try to play those same same tricks to get me distracted um off of off of god and so try to keep my mind focused on the lord and his word and i think that's important because like the cynical part of my mind you know um says that well if i have to kind of remind myself of what i should be thinking and all that then does it have anything to do with god am i just telling myself what to think in in like a some motivational kind of way but like any relationship, there are times when love is emotional 
and there mm-hmm. are times when it's like com- you know it's it's commitment it's like things you do regardless of feeling and and this podcast is all about that for me that um just talking to people that live on principle and that this being one of those things um that it's not that you're convincing yourself, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, to not feel bad. It's that God really did forgive you, and you really are a different person than you were then. And sometimes uh, a relationship is uh, is sticking to those facts and remembering what you've been through, even if it isn't emotional in that moment. That's, That's right. Man... <sighs> I keep having moments on the podcast where it should be a question, but then at the end, it's not a question. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, any other things you want to share? I feel like uh, this whole thing threw me off a little bit, um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm a little well, bit maybe, off. Maybe the Lord was doing that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt that you're going to do something beautiful with this. And, you know, this story really is about. God. It's really a story. It's really, it really is his story. It's about him. It's about forgiveness and how much power is in forgiveness. And I can't tell you how many women that I've met in recovery from substance abuse and addiction who also suffer from sexual abuse. And so, you know, this is just, this is just opening the door for people to try to understand that there's nothing he can't do. He can do anything. And if, if we just allow him to, so I know you're going to do it justice. Um, no <laughs> um, doubt. <laughs> I have one last question. And I said that like 20 minutes ago. Um, but now that you are in a different frame of mind in a much healthier place, when you fall in some way now, um, are certain aspects of it harder to see God's forgiveness? And I'm not projecting this on you. I'm saying this for me, that like when I was going through things where light and dark were this very obvious contrast, I could see God's change in my own life. But when I clearly know right from wrong and I'm just falling in this certain area, I almost feel like it's harder for God to forgive because it's easier to live in slight dishonesty about it because it's not as bad. And um, any thoughts on that? Well, I think he's the same as he was, as he is, and as he's going to be. He doesn't change. And, you know, there's, I don't know that there's levels of forgiveness. You know, it's, you're forgiven across the board. And, you know, if you just confess it, just agree with God that it is sin, then you're forgiven, you know, ask him to forgive you and you will. And so the little things and the big things, I know there's things I've done over and over again. And it's like, oh, you know, I know that doesn't please God. Um, But as long as I bring everything to him, big or little, I think I, I think I'll be all right. But thank you so much for your time. And thank you for your openness. And, uh, and I really pray that this blesses a lot of people. And uh, peace. <laughs> All right, peace. <laughs> oh, no.